Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary Season 2, Episode 6 for Saturday the 5th of September 2020. And coming up this week, Fall from Grace Draft 1 is finished. Now it's straight on to the third book and the final book in this trilogy. I'll bring you up to date with the latest numbers from my recent BookBub promotion. And it's time for a change of strategy with my sci-fi stories. So welcome to this week's show. Um, I, when I was listening back to last week's, I noticed that because my microphone is now mounted on the desk rather than on the angle poised mount that I had before, as I start to or continue to strip my study here, I noticed last week that you could hear my mouse clicking quite a lot as I was moving around the screen. So I've tried to set things up a little bit more sympathetically this week. I will have to do a little bit of clicking, but uh, not as much. So apologies if that was a little bit annoying last week. It annoyed me. It sounded like, I don't know, the house was about to fall down or something like that. Even more annoying, my squeaky chair, which... (laughs) <laughs> which you'll hear making noises in the background. That's soon to be retired, by the way. Okay, let's start with the writing update. And uh, as I said in the introduction, I have now finished draft one of Fall from Grace, the second book in the second Morecambe Bay trilogy. And I think this is a record for words for this year, probably. So my word count this week was uh, Saturday the 29th, 1,515 words, Sunday the 30th, 1,685 words, Monday the 31st, 2,057 words, Uh, Tuesday the 1st of September, so a new month, Uh, uh, what is it, 2,200, I was going to say, it's 2,290, I have a lot of problems with numbers, you know, reading out numbers, Um, Wednesday the 2nd, 1,508 Thursday the 3rd, 1,633 words, and then today, Friday the 4th, I've just written 5,749 words, which makes my total word count this week 16,437 words. And so the first draft of Fall from Grace now stands at 73,703 words. And those of you who know how I write will say, well, hang on, that's about 1,300 words light, isn't it? Well, you're absolutely right. I think I've probably, I'm pretty sure I told you last week that I was struggling a little bit with the, the plot line with book three. And I had a last scene to write, which was back in 1999. And my brain just couldn't figure out <laughs> what needed to happen in, in this part of the book. And, and, and as I was sitting there pondering, I thought, Do you know what, I don't need to tell you. I don't have to say this yet. I don't have to commit to this just yet. All I have to do is just write a shorter chapter, the last one in 1999, and I'll just leave it open. And it just makes it all mysterious and makes you want to read the next book to find out what happened. And then I thought, well, that buys me some time. Reader won't know any different, but it buys me some time because it means I can now review book one, I can review book two. And by the time I have to commit to that at the end of book three, I'll have all the facts, all the plot lines aligned, and I'll know exactly how to tie that up. So that was my solution. And all it meant was that I, I wrote a short, much shorter chapter, and that's left me slightly lower than the 75 words I tend to write. Now, that 75 words, I should say, is not some hard and fast deadline. It's around about 75,000 words. So I basically parcel up the book to 1,700 odd words a day and that 
pluses or minuses, obviously, because I don't write exactly that number of words. But what I do is I just course correct. I want to keep it roughly at 75,000 words. I don't want to get project creep. I don't want it to end up at 90,000 words just simply because I can't tame my writing. So that's why I use that target of 75,000 words. Now, the book might be as many as 80 or it might be as few as 70,000 words, but it's going to be somewhere in the middle. And this one is 73,703 words. And basically that's at a book length that I can charge full price for. That's really why I'm shooting for that. But obviously it doesn't take me as long to write as a 90,000 word book does. So 73,703 words. I feel really relieved now. Uh, I've, I've, I've typed really fast today because I had this really great action scene set up at the end. I always have these big crescendos at the end of the books. And I was really looking forward to writing this one. And I left myself this week. I, I structured the writing so that all I had to do was sit down and just write out the last three chapters of action and then the feeder line into the next book. And it doesn't actually fit, doesn't finish um, on a cliffhanger, but it doesn't obviously wind up the whole story. So if it had ended on a cliffhanger, I'd have, I'd have had a scene that I wrote today and you wouldn't have known whether she lived or died. And whereas you know that she gets out of it, uh, spot, plot spoiler, uh, you know she gets out of it. It has to be a plot spoiler because you've got a book three coming. And if, if she doesn't get out of it, you ain't got a book three. So it's not that big a plot spoiler. But uh, basically, rather than having um, a pure cliffhanger, instead, the obviously the story is not resolved, but that particular situation for the character is resolved, that she's out of it. I always kind of leave her, you know, panting, like, oh, thank goodness I got away from that. And then something happens right at the end that then twists it. And that, that's what I did today. And then it hopefully makes you read the next book. Because this is all about selling the series. It's all about selling the next book. It's about making the last book exciting enough and the last lines exciting enough to sell the next book. Because although I'm writing three or individual books, I'm actually selling three books and now with the Walker Bay trilogy because this is my second trilogy I'm actually trying to sell six books that's the kind of marketing strategy with this so I've got four days off now no writing no planning because I'm running around taking kids to university and we've hired we've hired a van for the kids because I, I got quite a lot of stuff to carry this weekend and it wouldn't go in the car so I've hired I'm a man with van this weekend so if you if you see some geezer with his elbow out the window uh, you know, chuntering on as he drives by, that'll be me, man with van this weekend. I don't think I've ever, I've never driven a van like this before. I've driven a big van for removal, but never kind of man with van sort of van. So if we've hired this, I'm moving kids, but also while we've got the van, I am moving a lot of stuff to the tip and, and sh sh you know, shuffling it around while I've got the space in the back. So there is a lot of movement going on over the next four days. Oh, and tomorrow, by the way, uh, I'm running a 5K race as well because I think the weather's going to be okay. But I got um, I signed up for a challenge at the beginning of the year. And clearly, COVID has created some issues with that. But I'm doing my run at the Nature Reserve tomorrow, so long as it doesn't pour with rain and the weather's okay. So a nice weekend of, of kind of refreshment, mental refreshment, doing a run tomorrow, uh, taking the kids down to uni on Sunday, dropping them off. And then for the next two days, I've kept the car because I got a lot of stuff to start moving around uh, to the landfill site. We're going to have a look at the storage units that all the gear's going in. It's just a really good opportunity for me to have a good shuffle around and move a load of stuff. And then that'll be kind of phase one 
done. So yeah, uh, it's nice to have that break. Where are we now then with the books? Well, at the moment I've got uh, Trust Me Once, which is the book that Julie Cordoner has just edited for me. That is now awaiting my perusal. So that's going to happen uh, next. I'm just gonna check my Trello screen. I'm pretty sure that's what happens next. Yeah, so before anything else happens, I am now going to process Trust Me Once. I'm going to go through Julie's changes. I'm going to make any last minute plot adjustments that I have to make, knowing what I know now about the detailed plots for book two and book three. So little course corrections in the story. I will be doing that from, well, I'll be doing it Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, next week. And then I will send that to beta readers and then I can forget that, and that just has to be released by November the 2nd, which is which is way off, it's a long time away. So beta readers can have that for maybe four weeks, certainly four weeks, maybe even six, I'll have a look at the diary, and then the drawbridge will come up, any last minute changes or mistakes I've made or suggestions uh, that, that I want to incorporate in the book, I will, and then we'll get that last edition uploaded to Kindle, and it'll be ready for November the 2nd. So. I'm going to work through book one first and, and pretty well put that to bed, to be honest with you. Also next week, I have now plotted Bound by Blood. So Bound by Blood is the third book and I've had to squeeze it out a little bit. And I know that a lot of that book, I will tweak that outline because I've got a lot of strands to tie up over the first two books. So I've got to make sure I draw all the strands together. Now, when I'm writing a thriller, I always write wide. My wife sometimes asks me because she always sees it before anybody sees it. She'll say, what was that about when this happened? And I'll say, oh, all that was just, all that was, was me. It was me picking out a thread that I didn't actually need in the end. It was maybe me just setting up a dead end or something. And so when I do the last read of the books, I just neatly sew in those, those loose ends that I don't need anymore uh, because I often... I often open up more loose ends than I actually need in the story, but they all just give me options of maneuverability. And I do think sometimes uh, maybe my editors and uh, my wife find that frustrating because I'll say to them, yeah, you know, I, I know I don't need it. It's not a problem. I just, it's just erase a sentence and it's gone. And I, I can work with that, but I know some people find those shifting sands quite difficult to work with. It doesn't, doesn't trouble me at all. I just think, right, I just nip that sentence out of the way and it's gone and no one ever knew it was there. So I'm quite happy and comfortable doing that in the book. So as I go through book one, I will go through book one knowing what I know now about books two and three. So when book one has gone out, that will be the finalized, that will be my finalized version. That's the story. It's set in stone. The story is set in stone unless the beta readers come up with something that I've completely missed, which is fairly unlikely to be honest with you. But you know, I don't know if I say, you know, she's on a flying carpet and they say, well, carpets don't fly. You know, some factual error that I've made that I just need to tweak. We're, we're in that kind of zone now. And uh, just a last uh, you know, a last pair of eyes over it just to make sure we've not uh, missed anything or messed anything up. So having done that, I will then go to my draft of book three, which is uh, Bound by Blood, and do some tweaks on that plot. And I have to start writing that book on Monday the 14th of September. So, I, you know, I've got a couple of, um, almost two weeks to go through that and finalise the plot on that. And then from, what date do I start? On the Thursday the 17th of September. No, it's earlier than that actually, oh my goodness. When do I start this? I've got to start doing the 
by my review of the book I've just written to get that ready for Julie Cordoner to do her final edit on. Now, I'm just having a look at my Trello board here. I can't quite see where I've started that. It must be in there somewhere. I can't quite see the start date on that, but I've got to start um, editing. Oh, there it is, Fall from Grace. It's on the 14th as well. So I start to write Bound by Blood on the same day that I start to edit Fall from Grace. And as I go through editing Fall from Grace before I give it to Julie Cordoner for editing, I can make any tweaks that I need to based on the decisions I made about book one. And then as I'm writing Bound by Blood book three, I can course correct the outline that I've done based on books one and two. So you see how this works with a trilogy. And I'm quite used to doing this by now. Is this the fifth trilogy I've done, fifth or sixth trilogy that I've done? Now, I do like the process of writing trilogies. It really suits me extremely well. But uh, this coming up behind work you've already written and then just finalising the plot I'm quite used to doing. You just have to do that final sweep to make sure the whole of the trilogy, the whole arc of that trilogy works well. So I'm currently carrying an entire plot in my head. <laughs> That's it, just a little bit crazy for a while. But as I, when I dispatch book one and send that to beta readers, I'll be able to download those files from my head then. And I'll just be working with the two books at that stage. So yeah, I do have Bound by Blood. It's fully planned in that I got 45 chapters. I've got the A to Z of the story. Every chapter is accounted for, but it will be revised. I know that's going to be revised. I did struggle with that story. And the reason I struggled with that story is that I still haven't quite committed in my mind about what I'm doing with a couple of the characters. So, so in a thriller, or the way I write a thriller, I don't know whether it's the right way or the wrong way. I don't know whether there is a right way or a wrong way. But what I tend to do is, I, I, I when you read one of the thrillers, I constantly want you to be reading it, thinking, well, hang on, who the heck are you? And where do you fit in? And hang on, you fit in there. Oh, no, you don't. You don't. This is, you know, it's just constantly um, mis misguiding, misleading readers and so that you don't really know what the heck's going on and hopefully you've got this central story that's running through that's got people engaged with it. I just I need to know what's going on here I want to know what's happening here and so as far as that's concerned I, I got a couple of characters I just need to make a final decision about them and I just wanted to make that final decision when I've read book one again just to make sure I got everything aligned and got it right so again there's quite a lot of stuff there um, to to balance but you know whatever <laughs> it's I'm pleased that I got two two of the books done now because you know how worried I was about writing fiction at the beginning of lockdown I didn't really couldn't sort of see that I'd write fiction this year so I'm delighted to have got the two books done and I'm amazed that I got Bound by Blood planned I really squeezed it out of myself this week to make sure that I got a structure but I know that as I revise that going through the other books it'll 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 be fine you know I, I got a plot that I know what's going to happen I've always had the end I've always had the big end ready right from the beginning of plotting this I, I've, I've had my ends sorted out the very very exciting ends of the books so and also because I want to write a final trilogy in this series I don't think I'd let this go on forever I think at the very most um, because I, I've got a central arc for the main character I don't think I'd let it go on forever like some series do I think at the most it's going to be three trilogies and perhaps um, this Christmas book that I was talking to you about this week incidentally the Christmas book unless a miracle a Christmas miracle happens unless there is a Christmas miracle in my life I was just looking at what I got to get done to get the house ready and all the bits done that I got to do and I thought it's just, no, there's no way I'm getting that written in time for Christmas so again unless something 
miraculous happens. I, I mean, we're making pretty good progress in the house, but if I suddenly, if I'm sitting there twiddling my thumbs thinking, sure, I'm on top of this, this is going to happen, th- then it will get written. But I was looking at the schedule thinking, I think that's a little bit tight. I think by the time I've done all this run around, packing stuff in storage and all of that, I might not fancy writing that book. So I'm going to keep me powder dry on the Christmas one. But if I don't write it this year, I would like to write it for next year because I just feel like it would be a really good onboarding point um, for that series of books. But at the most then, uh, and you know, you never say never with this, do you? But at the most, I think that series will have 10 books in it, uh, three trilogies and one standalone Christmas book. Uh, the other, the advantage, by the way, of writing the standalone Christmas book is that I can write it to 50,000 words if I don't write it and get it out for this Christmas. And 50,000 words is a nice length for a book, and it's quite good for pricing and marketing too. So I may just keep a powder dry on that one and save it until sometime next year. I, I might actually write it in the middle of summer or something like that, writing a Christmas story in, in a time that doesn't feel seasonal. But I might add it. I'm thinking of adding it to next year's writing quota. So four days of tips to the, tri- to the trips to the tip, which is hard to say, running kids to university, packing more stuff up every man with van and doing a 5k run. That's what my next four days are. And then it's back to the writing. But I'm, I'm looking forward to the, to the break of walking away from the stories, just having a little break now, resetting my head and then coming back to it on Wednesday, next Wednesday. So let's move on to the BookBub update. And I just wanted to give you the stats that I've had for the free promo, because I ended the free promo this week. I I can't remember what day it was, but what I wanted to do is I just, you get this huge flurry when you do the promotions, and then you can see the flurries dying down at that point. Uh, I felt when I spoke to you last week, was it 60,000 odd books we got? We'd got a lot of books at that stage. I thought that's quite enough freebies that that that's enough to fuel plenty of sales and then we'll we'll pull the drawbridge up now and then they can pay 99p for the book rather than rather than get it for free so i wanted to give you i can now give you final figures for the number of free books and as i'm talking to you i've got my calculator out because although i wrote the numbers down i didn't add them up so let me just do a quick bit of mathematics here and then i'll give you the final numbers I can't talk and calculate, it seems. There you go. So the total numbers of free books given away from 24th of August, over a period of just short of two weeks, I think it was, uh, 78,711 free books. That's ridiculous, isn't it? 78,711 free books. Let me tell you how that broke down by channel. So Amazon, I gave away 49,518 books. Kobo which was my third best, it actually beat Barnes & Noble this time around. Um, Though I'm not making, I'm making more sales on Barnes & Noble, but I gave away more free books on Kobo. So Kobo, I got rid of 4,908 free copies. On Google, 2,397 copies. Apple, 17,728 copies. And Barnes & Noble, 4,160 copies. So that's a lot of free books. And remember, if you've never done this before, you might think, wow, that sounds remarkable. That's amazing. That's a lot of books. How incredible. If I could only do that, I'd be rich and retired by the end of the week. Doesn't work like that, I'm afraid. What happens is that most people will never read the blasted thing. Uh, some people will fill their Kindle up so much they'll end up deleting it. And, and what will happen? I mean, you'll get a few thousand people or several thousand, I would say, people will actually uh, consume the book immediately. 
you can see that because those people are already buying through the series which is which is why we do this this is why we give this book away for free because people will buy through and i can tell you now that um in the first week alone uh just on draft the digital so on apple books and on barnes and noble the sales on those two channels alone uh more than paid for the bookbub promo which was just short of 500 pounds i think so um apple does all right to be honest with you. i was quite pleased um interestingly my wife has a macbook pro so although i can check the charts it's a bit of a pain checking charts on apple my wife sent me a screenshot to show me that i was uh on the the, the front of the charts in best sellers for 199 or less with truth be told on apple which is the third book in the series so that basically means i've shifted a lot of paid copies of truth be told so that was really nice to see we, we've got various screenshots uh, through the week but it did very well in apple free and it's doing very well in terms of apple income as well so that again that was another surprise i always got when i did bookbub promos i i kind of didn't think apple would do very much and in actual fact you do you do all right on apple this is my second most profitable line and i can tell you also that um, the other surprise that i got from doing bookbubs is that barnes and noble does all right it's not it's not bad barnes and noble it's not huge and i would say i'm probably earning less from barnes and noble this time than i have before but in terms of sales ranking in terms of money made it's always amazon at the top of course it is then for me it's apple after that it's barnes and noble and then um i haven't actually calculated it but it's a probably a close thing no no it's no it's kobo no it's a close thing between google and kobo hang on let me just have a quick look at kobo it's a close run thing i think between no 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 i'm telling lies it's Co kobo's best next kobo's next best and then it's uh then it's google so Go so google's the worst in terms of in terms of sales in terms of sales income so that just gives you an idea of you know what what you achieve from a bookbub. Now I can tell you that my income's up as you would expect it to be, and I'll tell you a little bit more about income before the end of this podcast. I'm going to go through uh, some sort of income summaries for the year ahead. But I I don't I don't think I've ever had that many freebies in one promo. Seventy eight thousand seven hundred eleven. That feels pretty good to me. So I've now put my prices up. Um, to, to because uh, you, you still get a lot of traffic to that that free book but i i don't that's quite enough for free that's that's enough to send a surge of traffic my way i don't want to leave it perma free i want to retain its value i want to retain its scarcity for free as you know i didn't really ever i didn't really want to give left for dead away for free the only way i'm doing it is on a bookbub promo like that so i've now priced I've just knocked the prices on. So Left for Dead, the first in series, is now 99 pence or, or cents in the UK. It's 1.99 for Circle of Lies and 2.99 for, what's the other one called? Trust me once, trust me once. No, truth be told, I beg your pardon. Truth be told. <laughs> I'm the world's most useless author. He can't remember his characters. Can't remember the books he's written. Uh, in the USA, I've priced that at 1.99 for Left for Dead. $2.99 for Circle of Lies, and then $3.99 for Truth Be Told. So again, you know, those are excellent prices, 99 pence or $1.99 is neither here nor there for a book. And people are now buying Left for Dead rather than getting it for free. And I'll continue to watch those numbers because what I'm looking at my overall income, obviously I want to be making a decent income every day, looking at my overall income. My first target with the book bub always is to say, did I cover the costs of 
the promo. And I've already told you that I more than did that and have more than done that subsequently through Draft the Digital. So if you then discount some of that Draft the Digital income and only, only, only some of that Draft the Digital income, you're then in a situation where the Amazon income and the Google income, you're, you're actually pocketing that. That's pocketed as profit. And I can tell you that my Amazon income is back up as a result of that promotion. So it was well worth doing, but I still think that the, the proof of the pudding is still going to be in how much read-through I get over the next, well, one month, two months to three months. I always think you get a three-month kick from a BookBub promo. But also what I'm really keeping a close eye on and, and this won't happen immediately, is I want to see those pre-orders going up on Trust Me Once, book four in my Walker Bay series. That's really what I'm experimenting with here, and that's what I'm keeping an eye on. If you're ready to move your self-publishing career out of the doldrums, then you should check out my non-fiction book, The Five Figure Fiction Formula, Available in ebook and paperback formats and distributed via Amazon, Apple, Google, Barnes & Noble and Kobo, this book explains how I achieved my first five-figure earnings months and three all-star bonuses. Having self-published more than 23 books across three genres, I've condensed a process which took me four years to master. You can hear every twist and turn in season one of my podcast diaries. If you want to take your author career from zero to five figures without the detours, delays and frustrations, then start reading the five-figure fiction formula today. Just head for bookstoread.com forward slash formula to get started. Moving on to sales and marketing news, and I'm being promoted in India at the moment. I told you about this some time ago, but I got an email from Amazon this week saying, congratulations, we've selected the following title for a Kindle deal on Amazon in India. So Amazon then handled the price updates during this period. So I just, it's like driving an automatic car. You take the hands off the steering wheel and let the car do the driving. The car in this case is Amazon. So the complete thriller collection, which is my 12 pack of thrillers, is going to be discounted to uh, 149 INR. I think that's right, isn't it? Uh, in a Kindle monthly deal, which runs between September the 1st and September the 30th. So I remember I've been offered two of these now and to be honest with you, I don't even know whether the last, I don't think the last one happened, but this one's happening. And whether they do any good, I don't know, but we'll soon find out. Whatever it is, it's not going to generate a huge amount of income unless they let me have reads with it as well. But we'll wait and see, see how we do in India this month. But as I say, I'm not in the, in the driving seat. Amazon's just going to handle that and I'll let them take care of it. When, when I got the follow-up email from BookBub this week saying, how did your BookBub promo go? It had a little line saying, what do you do next? And one of the things you did next was submit another book to BookBub. And my feeling always was, and this is how I scheduled it originally, is that you had to wait a month from your last author promo. But because they'd said, set up another promo, I thought, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to try my luck with Don't Tell Me. Because... <laughs> I'd I, I quite like to get a couple of BookBub promos in quickly so that I can go back to being in Kindle Unlimited with me thrillers and, and start building up the page reads for over Christmas and New Year. And so the so sooner I, if I get two BookBubs in before Christmas and then go back to Kindle Unlimited, that will suit me fine in terms of uh, income. So I thought, what the heck, let's go and sneak one in because they might always give me a BookBub 
and it might be in two or three weeks' time, so that by the time the book bub runs, they won't have given me one within a month period. So I'm just, I just try my luck. Why not? Just try my luck. Anyhow, I got knocked back. They, they rejected me. So I don't know whether they rejected me because of that. But basically what it means is that the, the next date that I can submit Don't Tell Meg for a book bub is the 1st of October. So I will... Uh, and that's great timing, actually, for me, because I will submit it on the 1st of October and then I can go back to KDP Select. And then the other book bub I want to try. So if they not, if they not, don't tell me back, that's it. I'm back in KDP Select then. But what I am going to try then is my 10-pack uh, of books, which is priced at 99 pence or cents. The... Um, reviews on that now are showing four star so we, we've we've managed to banish that one star review even though it's pulling them back a little bit I, I hope that it'll it'll go up to four point something stars but it's perfectly respectable at the moment let's have a quick look when I'm talking to you and see if it's gone no it's got eight ratings and it's oh it's 4.1 stars is, is the average so we've managed to claw back that original one star review but when you look at the fifth star it's not coloured at all, even though it's 4.1 out of 5. So I quite like to just edge that up to about 4.3, 4.4. And then it, it kind of partially colours that last star. And, and frankly, it doesn't really matter what the score is at that point, because it, it's 4 point something. And visually, that's all that matters. So somebody's, there's a Bloodhound book advertised beneath mine. And it, and that it looks like that, where that, that final star has been coloured and if I hold my cursor over it the score is 4.6 out of 5 stars but it might equally be 4.4 out of 5 stars so when you when you hit that level you, you're doing well so I'm planning if well I'm gonna I'm gonna do it anyway now we're at four stars as long as it doesn't go below that I'm planning to submit that to a bookbub paid promo at 99 pence now I've never done one of those before and they're very expensive but I figure there's never a better package to try on one of those promos. 10 books, 99 pence, sent to a thriller audience. If that doesn't fly off the shelves, then I don't know what will. Now, I would not try it with a single book, but I'm happy to try it with a 10 book. And I think it's going to cost about $1,000, quite a lot of money, I think. So I'm reasonably assured that with the size of list that those promos go to and the number of books... I might make me money back on that. <laughs> but if I've got reads on it as well, I've got another way of making my money back. So I am going to try that. But it has to be in um, Kindle Unlimited before I do that because I need to be able to get the reads as well as the sales on that. So the other thing I wanted to tell you about, and I teased this in the headlines at the beginning, is that my sci-fi books are now out of Kindle Unlimited. And I have found it harder... To, to sell my sci-fi book. So when I started having success with the thriller, I created a seven-pack box set of my thriller books, sorry, my sci-fi books, and tried to start flogging those at 99 pence and cents on Kindle Unlimited. And although it, it was shifting books, it didn't do anywhere near as well as the thriller did. And, and because I was spending so much money, I, I did chicken out and, and pull it back. And what I've decided to do is I, I feel like I've made more money on my sci-fi books when I've been putting them into BookBub promos. So now they're all out of Kindle Unlimited. I'm going to take them out for another session. 
I'm going to submit the Grid trilogy and the Secret Bunker trilogy for BookBub promos. I'll try it a couple of times, see if BookBub buy it. And if BookBub don't buy it after a couple of times, I'll probably go back to Kindle Unlimited and, and try that box set again. Now, now I'm not running as much up on credit cards. I got more resilience to this stuff. I might have another go at getting that seven pack box set going again. But I do want to try some BookBubs first because they're fairly easy money. The thing about the sci-fi is that it costs me less for the promo. So I don't need to make as much money to cover the expenses. So if I make a thousand, two thousand from a, a sci-fi promo, I'm, I'm reasonably happy with that. So I have now got the sci-fi. It's all listed wide. I'm just waiting for the books to go live on what is it, Kobo? And when they're live on Kobo, I'm going to submit it to the BookBub this weekend, and I'll either submit the Grid one or secret bunker one i'm not sure which yet basically i think whichever one is live on all the channels first uh whichever one's available to be first is probably the first one that will get submitted and if they knock that one back i'll go straight in with the next one and then i'll try it a couple of times until i get fed up and then we'll go back to kdp select if they haven't given me a book bub by then and then finally as far as sales and marketing is concerned for this week i have got a um, what's it called? Kindle? It's KWL. Kindle Writing Life. Yeah, Kindle Writing Life. I've got a, <laughs> I've got a Labor Day weekend sale in the US and Canada. That's that started now, I think. And I've got my twelve pack of thrillers in there. And because you could get uh, uh, this, they've got their kind of equivalent to Kindle Unlimited in that scheme. Because I can get page it's not page reads what do they do is it um oh time they they they, they re remunerate you for the amount of time people spend reading your book so with the 12 pack of thrillers that would work quite well so again this is me just trying to make kobo work for me and taking part in their promos trying to get something going on kobo so um, i don't have massively high hopes but uh, let's give it a try it should it should play well i would expect it to play well in canada because books are expensive there and, uh, you know, in, in the US, my books tend to go well there anyway. So I'd hope to see at least some blip on the life support machine. But I, I'll let you know if it's anything to get excited about. I've got quite a lot of general writing news for you this week. I just need to tell you that this PC that I'm sitting in front of right now with the double screens, it's going to disappear this weekend. It's going to go with one of my children to university. That particular child is delighted that they're going to get use of the PC. And I keep saying, don't call it your PC, it's my PC. And I keep saying, just remember, I reserve the right with very little notice to ask you to box it back up and at my expense, send it out to me in Spain. So I'm having to make the terms and conditions of the small print very clear about this, just, just, just so that in case there's any doubt in minds that I'm giving this PC away. It's on a temporary loan, but it suits me to have it in somebody's student room where they can box it up and send to me rather than packed up where I can't get to it in, in storage. So that's why I'm doing that. And I have the, the boxes down from, from the loft. I've got the screen boxes and the computer box to my side here. And then uh, probably, when will it go? It'll get boxed up on Saturday evening, probably, ready for me traveling down to university on the Sunday. So um, I'm going to switch when I start writing uh, Bound by Blood. That is going to be written in Google Drive on my brand new Chrome PC, which I like very much. But the jury is still out as to whether I'm going to be all right writing books on it. Now, when I left the BBC, 
I didn't have a PC, I was using a, a laptop. And I, I worked for a couple of years doing internet marketing launches on a, on a laptop. It was an, it was a nice laptop, but I worked on a laptop for a couple of years. So I have worked on laptops before, but uh, obviously I haven't written books on a laptop before. And I must say, one of the things I used to suffer from when I worked at the BBC was, was eye strain. Now, screens are a lot better than they used to be. And I haven't had eye strain off a computer for years. It's a long time since I've had that sense that your eyes are hanging out on stalks after working on a PC all day. So I'm hoping that I don't get any of that. And the reason I already had a Chromebook and the reason I upgraded my Chromebook was to get one with the biggest screen that I possibly could, the biggest, clearest screen that I possibly could. Uh, to, to prevent that so I can spend more hours working at it so we'll have to see how I get on with that but I will be recording this podcast and I will be writing from next week on a Chromebook and that at the moment is what I will be taking out with me to Spain to continue working on my business so uh, one of the things I've been doing chugging jobs as I like to call them is I've been moving documents over make sure they're in the cloud so I have OneDrive I have Google Drive and I have Dropbox I have huge storage amounts on all of them and so I've just been making sure everything that I've got is available to me I discovered to my great delight the other day that the hard drive on which I've got everything backed up or, or most things backed up and this goes way back to internet marketing days that if I plug that into my Chromebook, it actually sees that drive. So that's going in the suitcase and coming with me to Spain. So I think, I think I've got everything I need. And so long as I don't have too many problems writing on that laptop, then I should be able to make do with that for the five, six months that we're over there until I get this main PC back again. The other thing about the new Chromebooks, which I'm delighted, I was delighted to discover when I was messing around with it, is they actually operate now like an Android phone in that you can now download Android apps to your computer. So I was delighted because I've actually made the move to Amazon Music now. After all my fussing and dithering, I've decided I've settled on Amazon Music is what I like. And so um, it means I can download the Amazon Music app onto the computer. So that, that's beautiful for accessing my own music and the music I've bought and the music I get for free through Amazon Prime. But also the editing app that I use on my phone. You remember that I did a test a couple of weeks ago recording into Anchor directly from my phone. Well, the apps that I use for that I can access now on my Chromebook. So they, they've beefed Chromebooks up a little bit now too to make them a lot more um, well, a lot more useful, you know, a lot more utilitarian. So uh, I'll, I'll see how I get on with it. But I, I do love Chromebooks. And this has got a backlit um, keyboard as well. And this is another reason why I got rid of my other one. Because while we've been lazing in bed in the mornings drinking tea, uh, I, I, and we haven't put the light on, my wife's got her, her MacBook Pro, which has a backlit keyboard, and my original Chromebook didn't. So one of the things that I said to her that I wanted was a, a backlit keyboard. I've got one of those now, so I can sort of type in the semi-darkness without shocking my eyes and turning the lights on. And the other little trick I learned with the Chromebook, by the way, if, you, if you've got a Chromebook, I, I was saying to my wife, what I'd like to get next time, I'd just like to get one that's fingerprint controlled because I get fed up with passwords and things like that. Well, the new Chromebooks uh, will allow you, obviously, to put your Google um, password in, but they also do what the Microsoft 
PCs do now, which was allow you to put a, num a numerical code in. So I've now got a numerical code on it. But what you can do, if the PC hasn't actually got a touch button on it, you can actually now set your Chromebook up with your Android phone so that when your Android phone, I've got my Android phone here, if I touch it with my finger uh, and activate the screen, once the screen is activated on my mobile phone, it, it connects with my Chromebook. A little padlock goes from orange to green, and I just have to click the icon. And I mean, I don't need any password or anything to get it. It's all connected with the fingerprint on my mobile phone. So if you, if you use a Chromebook or you're thinking of using a Chromebook, it's a nice little trick that I learned the other day um, for obviously it's good security on your phone but it means i don't have to remember a password every time i log into my chromebook which was again one of the things that i didn't particularly like doing before because to have a secure password which you want to have on google um you've got to be able to remember it and if you're going to remember it it needs it can't have too many numbers and you know horrible whirly gigs in it and things like that so uh, anyway i've sold all those problems now that's just a little practical by the by i got a brilliant email I think it was yesterday it came in and some emails just kind of make your day don't know have a listen to this um hi paul i've lived in morecambe all my life and i'm now 75 years old i've just read the first part of the trilogy that's the morecambe bay trilogy the first one and was transported back to the 80s i could visualize the locations as, as i was reading well done my daughter-in-law told me about the books she heard about it from a friend now let's get excited about that word of mouth that's word of mouth for the books around Morecambe people are talking about the books around Morecambe it's not the first example I've had about this but this is great this is um, this is local marketing this is fabulous stuff so she says my daughter-in-law told me about the book she heard about it from a friend her parents used to own the galleon back in the day and she lived there as a young girl I can't wait to tell her now the reason she's telling me that is that when my wife and I worked in this Pontins holiday camp when we were uh, wife I'm, I'm a kept uh, sorry I'm a toy boy because my wife was 19 and I was 18 then uh, so I've always been a toy boy and um, so when we we used to we used to work six days a week on the holiday camp and you had to get off the camp early in the morning on your day off or if people were ill they'd call you in and make you work it and then give you the day off later and because we were boyfriend and girlfriend then we wanted to have a day off on the same day and it was enough you know we had to do wheeler dealing and negotiating with deals with people to get the, the same day off so it was enough to get that done we didn't want one of us to get called in on a shift so we would get up early in the morning we'd get off get off the holiday camp site on our days off and then we'd come back late at night so they couldn't put us on a shift and so we'd, we'd spend that time in in lancaster and walker which was our, our our sort of stomping ground in those days and at the end of a day in lancaster and walker you'd be pretty tired and there was a, a restaurant come bar called the galleon which was at the end of the promenade and uh, it's not there anymore. It's closed now, unfortunately. But uh, in those days, you know, bearing in mind we were 18 and 19 and not long left home, and we'd never, well, I say never earned money before. I, I did at work all through my teenage years, but never, you know, earned pocket money, really. But we used to treat ourselves to a meal at this galleon restaurant. And it, it felt so uh, exquisite and posh, you know, going out for a scampion chips <laughs> and, and having a drink with your meal. But that's that's what we used to do and then we'd catch the last bus back to the holiday camp and then we'd be up for the next shift the next day and so when i was writing left for dead i i, I have this i have the 
the young couple who, who are the protagonists in the book, you know, doing a lot of the things that we did because it's based on personal experience. And so I mentioned that they, they had that meal in the galleon. So this lady's obviously read this. Uh, she lives in the, in the locality. She read, she knows the galleon. Her daughter-in-law, her parents owned the galleon, probably at the, about the time when, when my wife and I were going in there when we were much younger. So, I mean, what a lovely email to get. And I've had a lot of messages like this from people living around Morecambe. I had another message from the University of the Third Age this week saying about getting me on a Zoom call to talk to their group about the book. So it's um, it's wonderful. It's just really, really nice to have, have located those books in a local community and to have so many people getting in touch with me saying, oh, it's brought back all these memories. You know, I remember what it was like in, in the 80s. These were the heydays of Morecambe. And, you know, Morecambe was a lovely little resort when we were there as students. And then it went through some really quite difficult times. And I think it's on the way back up now. I've always had a soft spot for uh, British seaside resorts. I love them. And I used to work at Radio Humberside. We used to have Withensea over there and Bridlington and Scarborough. I've got a real soft spot for British uh, seasides. I, I love them. So it was a great pleasure to write about Morecambe, uh, where I spent many years as, as a student and as a teacher. And, uh, you know, great to put that in a book. And of course, now in, in the books I'm just writing, the, these focus very much on Hesham, even though they're in the Bay Area, they focus on Hesham and Sunderland Point, uh, lots and lots of scenes based around those areas. So I'm hoping that that will also resonate with readers. But yeah, that made my day when I got that email uh, yesterday. I, I just wanted to mention to you that my Ingram Spark sales are now worthy of note and by worthy of note I mean it's not just a couple of quid here or there I think I got the sales in from the US that these are paperback sales and it was about 30 30 something nearly 40 pounds I think it was in the US now I've only listed the books on Ingram Spark uh, I'm not marketing them in any way I, to be frank with you I don't even know how people find them to be honest with you on Ingram Spark and I, I just listed them there because I could and because I had a, a, a discount code that allowed me to do it for free and I, I had the covers and I had the files anyway so I might as well but one of the things I, I'm sort of learning more and more the more books I get and the more places I list the more I do with them is that you know actually you can create a pretty good basic income just by having a lot of books without them particularly doing that much and just having them in lots of places lots of books in lots of places you don't have to be a bestseller and it, and it brings in that just that core income now I don't know whether you remember me telling you that I always run accounts I print you know what I'm like with with accounts I like to know what's coming in what's going out and I used to have I always I've, I've always earned something for several years now so I've always known something's coming in over the course of a month and to, and to be fair with you you know the last before this year the previous two years I think I'd earned about 20,000 a year something like that and then this year I don't know what this year is going to be it's going to be way way higher than that I don't know what it's going to be this year but I always very cautiously budgeted 75 pounds a month as a as a kind of holding income for Amazon because it just allowed me to project ahead obviously you've got ongoing expenses in your business and I, I just used to have a holding amount of 75 pounds a month when I started doing the 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 Facebook ads I decided to to take that out of my accounts because I've obviously been fortunate enough to accrue income within the business for much of my time I've I've accrued income then pretty well spent it straight away whereas now I've actually accrued income and will hang on to income within the business it's going to hang around more than five minutes now so what that allows me to do that is to take those 75 pound budgets out of my spreadsheet so that 
every month now starts at zero income. I don't project or guess any income. I just it's just set to zero. And, you know, I hadn't these little things show how times have changed for me because, you know, I'm still still not earning enough, still not earning as much as I'd like to, as frequently as I'd like to. You know, I don't, don't think we're ever happy. I don't know whether I ever would be happy. I'm, I'm sure, you know, once you reach one horizon, there's always another horizon, uh, you know, another another hill to climb over if you want. So uh, that's just the nature of the beast, I think. But what did strike me is that I hadn't even got through the day this week on September the 1st, and I'd reached that £75. And there was a time when it might take me, uh, you know, a, a week or two weeks to reach that £75 figure, whereas now I'm, I'm doing it before we've even reached the end of the day. So, you know, these these tiny things, although I'm still not happy, uh, these tiny things, I think, indicate that there is progress, these little things. And I, I know somebody was was it at 20 books last year somebody was I was lamenting my poor performance and somebody said to me in the bar it wasn't that long ago that you were telling us that if you could replace your wife's income which was part-time term time that you would be happy with that and yet you've replaced that you know you've easily exceeded that for for months and months on end now and you're still telling us you're not happy so as i say that is the nature of the beast i think that every time we hit a target we make another target but um you know i did notice that small success this week that that it's not, not even it's i'm earning that in in less than a day now which is which is fabulous i want to big up MailerLite again this week because they have ramped up their pop-ups now now pop-ups are things i've been using these for years and Believe it or not, when I started internet marketing, they were quite new. I used to pay, I'm just trying to think what the software was called. I used to pay $99 to get this brilliant piece of software. I can even remember the guy's first name who made it. It was Dave something. And But, you you know, it was not as easy as it is these days. You had to add a little bit of code to the site and it was a little bit more complicated. But you used to get these, they used to call it, oh, it's called Exit Splash. They used to call it an Exit Splash. So that on an internet marketing offer, I was flogging you some, whatever it was, digital training kit, whatever it was we were flogging you this time. And then if you decided that you didn't want to buy, you'd go to click the X in the top right-hand corner of your screen. And when you navigated away from the screen, you'd get this pop-up that said, stop, you know, get this exclusive price now or, or register to our list and we'll give you a discount code or something like that. That's what we mean by a pop-up. And um, they're two a penny nowadays. Every, everybody who half knows what they're doing with internet marketing will have some form of pop-up on their website. Now, one of my criticisms of MailChimp was that were that the pop-ups that they included in their accounts for free were absolutely useless. And uh, I, I remember our local newspaper used to use these pop-ups, and it used to drive me spare because this every, with a local newspaper because it's news and the website changes a lot. I'd be on the website a couple of times a day, yet they got this pop-up set, so you saw it every time. It just drove you spare, and I'd rant at this website saying, you know, come on, this is not the way to run a website. You know, if you've got these pop-ups coming. This annoys the heck out of people. This is a bad user experience. So I've always used slightly more subtle uh, pop-up generators, ones that you can say will only show um, you know, once a week or once a month, or once they've seen it once, um, place a cookie on the PC and so they don't see it again. So I, that's why I've never really liked MailChimp for this, but MailerLite now have got a superb pop-up offering as part of their paid accounts. I'm not sure whether it's with the free one, but definitely with the paid account. Let's face it, it doesn't cost very much, so MailerLite's extremely cheap. Now, these pop-ups are absolutely wonderful. Now, I, I have paid 
for, or I currently pay for Thrive themes. And in the past, I've paid for pop-up domination. But I'm actually in a position now, looking at those pop-ups with MailerLite, that I'm probably just going to cut out the middleman and switch directly to MailerLite pop-ups. Um, and the pop-ups that they do, I mean, it's a really good offering because they give you all sorts of options. You've got ribbons, and ribbons are the strips that go at the top or the bottom of a page. You've got fly-ins. <laughs> These are the things that kind of drop in from the top or the bottom or the side and, and sort of, um, you know, appear in the middle of the web page and say, subscribe here. And you've got message windows. These are the things that pop up, usually in the right-hand corner, that look like a chat box or something like that. They've got all these different options for you. And the key thing, the really brilliant thing about this is they give you all sorts of options for delaying them. So I generally like to have a pop-up coming up either after a length of time so you've maybe been looking at a web page for 20 seconds. You've had time to actually draw breath and look at it, and then the pop-up appears. Or usually what I do, this is pretty well about 98% of the time, I have a pop-up showing on exit. So when you're about to leave a web page, you've decided that for whatever reason there's nothing there for you, and you're about to hit the X in the top right-hand corner, as you move your cursor up there, the pop-up comes down and says, hey, fiddly-dee, you know, sign up here, get a free book, whatever, join my list. Uh, and, and that's what I prefer. And, and also, I like to, to cookie pop-ups so that you don't see it every time. And I, I generally quite general with pop, gentle with pop-ups in that I, I like them. Certainly, you don't want them showing more than once a week. I usually make it once a month, say, on, on a podcast website or a blog where people are visiting sometimes quite regularly. I set it to a month. You don't want to annoy people, but you want to make it regular enough to make sure that they don't miss out on that opportunity. And then there's another control on the MailerLite pop-ups I haven't seen before, which I love. It's really clever, and I wish we'd had this years ago, that you can now set a promotional period on their pop-up. So if, if you've got a Kindle countdown deal, for instance, and it runs from Monday to Friday, you can now program the pop-up on your website or websites to only display during the Kindle countdown deal. So it will automatically start when the deal starts. You can put a time and date on the pop-up and then you could make it stop when the Kindle deal stops, which is just, it's brilliant. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Somebody must have done it, but I can't believe it's unique, but I've never had it or I've never clocked it on any of the tools that I've used. So I think that is that is pretty good stuff. So I am going to make the move not immediately because i got a lot of writing to do but when i've done the writing and i'm hopefully in spain and, and doing uh, chugging jobs and marketing jobs i'm going to look at moving wholesale now into those mailer light pop-ups because they're really quite impressive and the way you add them to your website if you've got a wordpress plugin and you have heard me tell you this time and time again you know it's all right having a wix website it's all right having a weebly website but the problem with those is they don't integrate with anything useful so you can't do cool marketing stuff so you might have got a website that you set up in an afternoon but they're not a lot of good to you and the reason that i always say get a wordpress website is you can do anything anything that's possible on the web you can do at a wordpress website and in this case if you don't have a wordpress website you've got to take some cut and paste code to make those pop-ups work. Whereas if you've got a WordPress website, all you do is you install the free MailerLite plugin and it will integrate with that and you don't have to get involved in cussing and pasting code or anything nasty like that. So, you know, I think that's a really impressive offering, not paying extra for it. Um, you know, if you were using, um, I, I paid extra for it for ages. I've paid extra for Thrive Leads. 
uh, which is the product I use at the moment. Uh, and I use MailMunch sometimes as well, uh, which is a, a paid product. You can use it for free. And I've used, um, what is it? What's the other one? Pop-up domination. I used pop-up domination for years, and that was also a paid product. So this is really good to be bundled as part of the MailChimp offering. So that's one more example of excellent innovation from MailerLite. But, but, because I'm about to give you an affiliate promotion, I am going to remain impartial about this. I am going to remind you and the MailerLite team, if any of you are listening, that's a brilliant innovation, guys, and I love these innovations, and you're doing a great job, but it's time to backpedal and sort out uh, your subscribers being able to update their own email address because it's not acceptable that they can't do that. That is so basic. It's not true. It's almost like installing a front door and forgetting to put a handle on it so you can open it. That's how basic being able to update your own email address is. So come on, MailerLite. I love these innovations. I want to big you, big you up unreservedly because of these cool things you're doing, but you just need to take a step aside and you need to sort out this updating of your email address because then you will be unstoppable. By the way, just to remind you, I am an affiliate for MailerLite. I do use it. I do love it, even though I've got that particular reservation about it. And if you'd like to check out MailerLite using my affiliate link, you could just head for paulteague.com forward slash MailerLite. That's paulteague.com forward slash MailerLite. If you've ever found this podcast helpful, you can now support my work by buying me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash paulteague. Maybe I've saved you some time by sharing a new resource. Perhaps I passed some information on that you weren't aware of, or you may just like catching up with another author who's doing what you're trying to do and checking in on a regular basis. I prefer to use Buy Me A Coffee because unlike Patreon, you don't have to sign your life away to show your support for the podcast. You can make small one-time contributions, the price of a cup of coffee, or you can support monthly or even annually. The choice is yours and you can make one-off donations at any level you choose. So if you want to support the future development of this show, head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Paul Teague. And thank you very much in advance for your help in keeping this particular show on the road. In the final section of this week's show, I just wanted to share some information with you because for the first time in my writing life, I've actually recorded every single one of my business expenses and the renewal dates. So I've made a list of all the software that I have, the renewal dates, the price, and even my domain names. Now, I've always known that these things are coming in and I've tended to budget for them. I've sort of thought, oh, I usually get a bill from Dropbox. I think that's a hundred dollars. I had enough money around to pay those things, but I've never known they were coming particularly. I've known that they're an expense. I've never known they're coming. And because I'm, I'm spending a lot of time uh, doing accounts, I'm, I'm using Crunch for my accounting. In, incidentally, I, I'm getting on really well with Crunch now. I, I was a little bit overwhelmed with it when I started using it. But I issued my first salary slip today. How cool was that? You could issue salary slips through the software. And so, you know, we've got a, a visual and printed record of a salary slip with Clixio Publishing Limited across it. And it's got all the tax on and it reports to HMRC and all of it. It's really very, very good. So um, I was a little bit reticent about Crunch at, uh, at first because my learning curve was huge with it. But uh, I'm able to 
to pay salary through the business now and issue salary slips and it automatically reports to the Inland Revenue uh, that you've issued that and it takes care of pay as you earn because uh, my my wife got a tax uh, letter through the post today that reflects now that that she's receiving salary uh, through Clixio uh, which is fabulous so we know we're using up her tax code in that way uh, because she doesn't use up all her tax code currently and these are some of the joys of having a limited company uh, we've also I've also issued dividends this year as well so um, you could do all these cool things when you're a limited company now I probably I won't stay in it any longer than I have to um, because it does give an extra sort of level of, of reporting and I, I generally prefer to be sole trader I can't I might get lucky but I can't imagine that that next year's going to be as good an earnings year as, as this year because a particular set of circumstances led to it this year so I am to a certain extent managing this year I'm anticipating going back to being a sole trader from April but we'll we'll see we'll see how things go I'm getting on so well with crunch at the moment I have to say I quite like working in this software because it takes care of everything for me so um, I may stay limited company next year we'll see how it goes so um, because I've gone through this process, and incidentally, this is one of these jobs I've been doing in between my taking my turn when I've been playing Scrabble with my mum online. So it's been really productive time. But I just wanted to give you an idea of what my annual business expenses are, uh, just, just to give you an idea of how high they are, what I pay for in my business, um, and, and what I prioritise in my business expenses. So um, I hope this is useful for you. This is what I've budgeted for the next year. And a lot of these um, expenses are in dollars, of course. So I, I have to make a, a best guess in terms of dollars. I tend to budget up rather than down. I tend to budget for a, an increase in price uh, you know, rather than a decrease in, in, in the value uh, because of the exchange rates. So my ongoing costs for next year are book funnel, £200. My site ground web hosting, £435. Dropbox, £100. My Alliance of Independent Authors membership, £125. Trello, which is how I do my planning and organisation, is £45. Plennyway, which is an add-on to Trello, which allows me to, to drag and drop boxes and to manage things the way that I want to, that costs me an extra £35. I have my in, um, information commissioner's office fee. This is for my GDPR regulation and managing data through a web database. That costs me, I think that's £35 a year. I just renewed that because I changed my bank account. I think that's £35 a year if I pay by direct debit, which I am doing. So I think that's £35 a year. But if you pay for it through a card, it's £40 a year. So I, I'm, I think that's £35 a year. Uh, I pay for Google Drive. I have 200 terabits is it i think it is yeah i think it's terra or is it giga whatever it is quite a lot of storage on my google drive i, I pay for it i'm out of free storage so i pay 25 pound a year for my google drive storage i've got 80 pound put by for book brush 150 pounds for mailer light 155 pounds for book report and i am committing to book report now because i found that it's an essential it's really essential for me to get that daily breakdown of how much did i spend and how much did i make on a day daily basis really important when you're running adverts so book report i'm paying for annually now I've got some a vast security on my mobile phone, which is about five quid a year. I put that through the business because it's the business stuff that means that I need the security. The um, I have optimized press, which is um, the theme I use for my websites. That cost me seventy five pounds a year, and that seventy five pounds. 
I actually use Optimize Press 2, and that gives me my license renewals for Optimize Press 2, but I know that I'm probably going to need to move in time into Optimize Press 3. It also gives me access to Optimize Press 3. So that gives me £75 a year. Uh, and I've budgeted next year for free agent. Now, I, I bought free agent and crunch this year. Crunch is what I'm using for being a limited company in the UK. Free agent is what I had bought to be a sole trader this year. But I, I decided to go, I decided to go when I saw what, what money I'd earned this year, I decided to go limited company. So I bought free agent. I've, I've used it for something else, actually, but not, not for the writing business. Uh, so it has got used. But I, I really like free agent as well. So if I move to a, if I go um, sole trainer again next year, I'll use free agent. If I stay limited company, I'll continue with crunch. But I've budgeted initially £228 for free agent because I would anticipate going back to being a sole trader in April of next year. But that's still TBC. It depends how much money I'm able to earn for the rest of this financial year. And then finally, I have a vast premium security on my computers, and that costs me £60 a year. So I like to beef up my security online. Now, all of those products come to £1,753 per year. And then in addition to that, I pay for 16 domain names every year, 16 web domain names. And there's a couple of extras in there. But that means basically that my annual costs of doing business, this is before I even draw breath, just to have a business and exist and do the things I need to do, it costs me 2000 and four pounds 24 pence a year that's what i've budgeted my costs of business for 2021 and 2022 now i can remember i used to be part of a mastermind group when i was in internet marketing i could remember i could remember explaining to them how i was cheapskating it with softwares always trying to get free services and do things on the cheap and avoid spending money and i could always remember being taught that lesson or told that lesson and the lesson was that when you run a business, and we run a business because we're an author, is that there are costs of doing business. You can't run a business for free. There are certain costs to doing business, and you should expect to incur some of those, the costs of doing business. And I was cheapskating it and trying to avoid those costs of business. And actually, I see the truth of that now, that to run a business properly, there are certain things that you've got to do, and there are certain things that you've got to pay for. And you just have to take that on the chin. Uh, you know, you've got to pay for your information commissioner's office bill. You, um, when I was doing, uh, when I was out doing tutoring, I used to have to pay for for uh, liability insurance. You know, you've got insurance to pay for. You've got um, professional membership like the Alliance of, of Independent Authors. I never resent paying for the Alliance of Independent Authors because I make I more than make that money back in the in the because they give you a code. When you're a member of the Alliance of Independent Authors, they give you a code, which I absolutely hammered this year and will continue to hammer, which saves me a fortune on the listing fees on Ingram Spark. So, you know, so I don't mind that membership. I need Dropbox, obviously, to make sure everything's safe. All, all of these things I, I need. And I look at the SiteGround hosting, I think, ooh, £435 for hosting. I got 10 websites on that hosting. So it's only £43 a website. It's not that much when you boil it down like that. So you just, you have to do business like that. You have to expect to make some payments in your business. You can't completely, you can't completely cheapskate it. Now, I regularly look at what I am using and review it because similarly, 
you shouldn't be spending on software services that you're not using. I'm not saying that you should spend willy-nilly and just buy everything that's available. You absolutely shouldn't do that because that's then wasting business income. You should review, I would suggest annually when things come up for renewal and say, do I need this? Am I using this? Am I, am I sweating this enough? Or could something do the job better, uh, cheaper, more effectively? Or do I even need to do this job? Do I need to ditch it? Um, and I do that annually. That, but that's what I'm committing to for the next year. The only question mark over that is whether I'm good to be paying for free agent software for my accounts or crunch for my accounts. I have to say the other thing I like about crunch is um, I, I have it's like a hybrid for accounting and then I don't have to have an account. I don't really like having accountants. Um, but with crunch, I can keep asking them questions about the accounts. I can ask them about how many dividends can I take and how do I how do I declare this for tax and you know how's I, I, I like to be on top of the tax. I don't like surprises, as you know. Uh, and I, so I can ask accountants, a team of accountants, questions. They'll look at my accounts and they'll advise me on that. But I don't have a specific accountant, and it's really suited me better than I thought it would at the moment. That's particularly now I've got used to the software. So yeah, I just thought you might find that useful. And what I wanted to tell you now is that um, as of the end of last month, I've now accrued enough income, not only to sit in the business, just sitting in the business, not only to see me to the end of this financial year, but also to pay dividends, salary, and all those business expenses expenses for the year 21 to 22. So I'm now beginning to get ready to start saving up for a year ahead, to get an, an extra year ahead, so that I can start to put my income that I need for the tax year 22 to 23. Now that sounds absolutely ridiculous, but this is how I'm forcing my business to become more of a business. I don't want it. It's been hand to mouth for a long time. I've been bootstrapping it for a long time. I've been able to take some income out of it for a while, but you know now it's time for this business to cough up. I've written nearly 30 books now. Um, you know I've managed to, to set things up now so I make some decent income from it. I don't know how long that will last and how long I'll be able to sustain it, but it's time for the business to start coughing up now and to start paying. I'm not prepared for it to just be a one-way thing where I just constantly work all the time and then spend everything on covers and marketing and edits and things like that. It's all fine for a while. At some point, your business has to account for itself. It has to be profitable and it has to make money. And so this is why uh, I'm setting the business up like this now. I'm making sure that it can deliver the cost of doing business and we can take a salary out of it a good salary for the next two years and beyond that and i'm staying completely focused on that because what i want now is to create a sustainable business going forward that will pay a salary and where i can say this year my business paid for spain something tangible like that so all the work that i've put in I can now start to say I'm taking these benefits out of that business. I, you know, I spent four years writing, 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 writing and working at this. And now I'm taking some benefits out. And this year, my business is paying for me to go to Spain for five months. Books paid for that, everybody. So if you're sitting there, you know, struggling with your first book, you're thinking maybe you've got three books and you think it might never happen. All I can say to you, the only piece of wisdom I can pass on, because it certainly ain't talent, that's for sure. It's just just keeping at it is what does it, is all I can tell you is that the more books you have, so long as you stay in the game, it gets easier to make money. 
if you keep learning, listening to podcasts, keep trying stuff out. That's the only thing I can recommend to you. I've got no magic bullet, you know, no secret trick. That's kind of what worked for me. Hanging on in there, keep doing the writing, create more products, and then it really does start to get easier. So if you are sitting there kind of licking your wounds, you've maybe done a launch and it's not gone the way that you wanted it to. I've been there many, many times. <laughs> I've even I've given up on launches now. Don't care about launches anymore. I, I release a book and then I figure out how to market it when I'm ready because I've learned and I've got the confidence now to know that it really doesn't matter. So long as you've got the product out there, you can figure out how to sell it better at any time. So there you go. That's my parting words of wisdom for you. I hope that's been useful for you. Have a great week of writing and I'll speak to you next week. You can check out the show notes and listen to the back catalogue episodes at paulteague.com forward slash podcast. If you want to record a question for me to answer on the show, head for paulteague.com forward slash question. If you've heard something that's helpful to you in your author business and you'd like to support the show, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash paulteague. That's it for this week's show. Thanks very much for listening. And I hope you have a great week of writing. From me, Paul Teague. Bye-bye for now.